We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Would you take your Bibles and join me in turning to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. We continue our journey together through the life of Elijah. In fact, this is our last sermon on the life of Elijah that we're journeying through. Uh, can't wait uh, for next week. Uh, next week we're going to begin a brand new series, a four-week series, walking through the tiny Bible books of 2nd and 3rd John together. But this morning we have an incredible passage that has been laid before us as we encounter something that of all of the miracles, of all the amazing things that we have seen in the life of Elijah, Probably nothing more incredible than what we're going to see in just a few moments. And as we're getting ready to do that, I wonder that as you look around, as you listening, listen to television advertisement, as you listen to things that come on the radio constantly, are you not blown away by how many anti-aging products that there are on the market today? It is unbelievable. Every time you turn on, people are trying to keep you from getting old, or they're at least trying to keep you from looking old. There are serums and creams and pills. You can get things injected into your forehead and into your crow's feet and into your lips. You can dye your hair. You can get new hair. You can do a variety of different things, all in an effort to try and help you look like that you're not going to die. It's incredible. But the truth of the matter is, you're all headed there. Day by day by day. Now, if somebody tells you that they've never had that moment where getting older didn't bother them, they're probably lying to you. You can remember that moment where you looked up and saw a gray hair. Or you can look up and remember that moment where you had no hair. <laughs> or maybe it is that you went to do something and you thought, that didn't used to be that hard. It used to be a little quicker than that. Maybe you remember that time in your life where you just said, you know what? Some years have passed. And maybe some of you have gotten to the point where you looked up and realized, that it's possible I've got less in front of me than I do behind me. And the reality of that for everyone, even if you are saved, can be difficult. It can be something that's a struggle to deal with. But what if you knew that you were never going to die? You know, the Bible tells us that there are two people in history that have never died. One of them was a man by the name of Enoch. We learn about him in Genesis chapter 5. But the other one is the man that we have been studying over the past couple of months, a man by the name of Elijah. And so today, as we stand together and read this passage, I want you to be blown away by who our God is and what our God does. Let's stand together. 2 Kings chapter 2. I'll begin in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14 together. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. 
And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. And then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, and the chariots and the, the, chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. And he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan and he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Lord, I pray that you would teach us today to live every day in light of the day that we will leave this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many of you have read that passage before, or maybe numerous times before, but I want you to this morning think about that as we read it together, I want you to think for just a moment that as we read that, what would be the natural questions that would come up for someone who had never read that passage? What would come up into your mind as you read through that that you thought, I wonder how, why that happened or how this happened? I think there's some that jump off the page that before we even get deep into the theological concepts, we have to answer. And one of those questions is simply how, because we haven't read every piece of it up until here. Hopefully you have been reading through 1 Kings and in 2 Kings. But you may wonder, well, where was the passage where God told Elijah and told Elisha and told all of these prophets that Elijah was going to be taken up? That's no, we're never told where that God told them or how God told them. All we know from the context of this passage is that God had made it very clear to both Elijah and Elisha and this whole company of prophets that Elijah was going to be taken up in this fashion or in this manner. It was understood and they all knew. And they obviously all knew not only that it was going to happen, but they had been told when it was going to happen. They had even been told possibly where it was going to happen because they followed them out and looked at them when they were standing at the Jordan River. So if that question is answered, it brings up another question. 
And this was one of the very first questions I asked as I read through this text uh, in, in the first time in preparing to preach it. If I knew that I was going to, be, to ascend unto heaven, if I knew that today was the day, if God had come to me and he had said, Larry, I want you to know that today I'm going to send a chariot, that you aren't going to go through death, that you're not going to die, that you are simply going to be taken to heaven in a chariot, and that's going to happen on this particular day. How would you live that day? What would that day look like in your life? Would it be different? What would you do? So then we look at how, what Elijah actually did when that took place. How did he actually carry out the day? And to me, it seems like at first read a very strange way to carry out the last day of your life because he just starts almost looks like he's just wandering around. He's going from place to place to place and why would he be doing that? Well, historians tell us that every place that was mentioned was a school for the prophets that was most likely founded by Samuel. Look at the places that he went. Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and finally the Jordan River. And so as he is going to these places, it's as if he had appointments with the prophets because you'll remember that Elijah is the quintessential Old Testament prophet. He is the one that represents all of the Old Testament prophets. One of the reasons that we know that is because when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, do you remember this story? He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's with Peter and those two sons of thunder and two people come up on the side of Jesus while Jesus is transfigured or dazzling in bright white. And who were those two figures. Do you remember? One of them was Moses and Moses represents the law of God. When Moses stood there, it was showing that Jesus had fulfilled all of the Old Testament law. Elijah is standing there because Elijah represents all of the Old Testament prophets. So Moses shows that Jesus has fulfilled the law. Elijah shows that he has fulfilled all of the prophecy. The reason that both of them disappeared and it was Jesus himself left alone was because he was the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of prophecy. So we know that. So it makes sense then that Elijah, before he left, would have gone and visited in these prophet schools at these different towns and given instructions to these young men. But obviously they had been told too that Elijah was going to go up because everywhere they go, they go up to Elisha, who is Elijah's protege, his disciple, and they walk up to him and they ask him a question. Hey, did you know that your master is going to be taken from you today? I don't know how you really avoid that topic of conversation. If you know that someone who is going to ascend unto heaven, they're not going to pass through death, and you've been told that's going to happen today, it seems like that whatever else, what other conversation was going to happen around the dinner table, that you'd probably hold off on that because this would be incredibly significant. So they're asking Elisha, did you know this? I think they probably knew that he knew it. I think they were simply trying to engage him in conversation about it. But every time Elisha gives the same answer, yes, I know about it, now don't talk about it. 
So I think another question that you may have as you read through this text, I think it's a good question. Why? Why would Elijah have said, I don't want to talk about that? Well, I think there's really two distinct possibilities, and I don't think either one of them are a stretch. I think they're just really common sense. Either Elijah had some really important things to tell them before he ascended, and he didn't want that to be the topic of conversation that they talked about the entire time they were there, that he only had a limited amount of time before he got to the Jordan. So please don't ask him about that. Let him talk. You be quiet. He'll tell you what he wants you to know. That's one possibility. And the second possibility is really more of a personal. And I tend to lean maybe a little bit more this way on on the answer to that question. This was his mentor. This was his teacher. This was the person that he loved and admired the most. And I'm sure that Elisha was excited for Elijah. I'm sure that he was happy for him and thrilled for him. But what he also knew is that he wouldn't see him anymore. And it could be just as simple answer as this. I know it's happening, but I don't want to talk about it. I want to enjoy my last day with my friend. I want to walk with him wherever he tells me to go. I want to listen to him, and I want to stay with him. So if you would, just do me a favor. We're going to have a lot of time to talk about that tomorrow, but not today. So they go to these different places, to Gilgal and to Bethel and to Jericho, and eventually to the Jordan. And when they finally get to the Jordan, now we come across another question almost a bold question. We've seen that Elijah comes to the Jordan River, and at this place in the Jordan River, you may have a, 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 don't think about the Mississippi River. The Jordan River is not the Mississippi River. In fact, where they were at the Jordan River would probably be somewhere uh, between the size of the Bogachita and the Tapasal, if that helps you, okay? About that size. And so Elijah walks up to it, and he parts it. Now, why did he do that? Could he have gotten across another way? Could, he have walked, could God have allowed him to walk on water? We know that God has granted that ability before. There's a, a reason behind that, that that is authenticating what's taking place with all of it because an event had happened before in the Old Testament that you may remember. And I don't think it's accidental that on the Mount of Transfiguration, the other man who was standing on the Mount of Transfiguration actually was part of that event as well. Do you know what I'm talking about already? Moses standing exactly at the banks of the Red Sea, and Moses parts the Red Sea, and the land goes dry, and Israel goes across, and then the waters come crashing back down, right? You remember this? And it kills all of them. But what we have here is Elijah now showing that the power of God is walking through him, and he walks through the the Jordan River, and then this question, this incredible question comes, before I leave, is there something I can do for you? Makes you wonder if maybe Elijah wasn't Southern. That's a very polite comment. Now, I'm about to go, but before I go, is there anything I can do for you? Anything you need? Any questions you want answered? Is there anything of mine that I own that, that, that I could, could leave with you? By the way, he did leave him one material possession, but that cloak meant a whole lot more than a jacket. That cloak was the mantle of God, the anointing of God that was on Elijah that had now fallen on Elisha. But Elisha asked him something, and when you read it, if you're intellectually honest about this passage, you find yourself going, are you kidding me? 
That's what you asked for? A double portion of your spirit? Now, how did you get a double portion of the man who was a part of the throwdown at Carmel? A double portion of the man who's going to get caught up in a whirlwind. A double portion of the man who was fed by ravens at Careth. A double portion of the man who raised the widow at Zarephath, son. A double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, now, what you've asked is a hard thing. Well, I think Elijah knew that nothing was impossible for God. So if you read through this passage and you found yourself asking the question, why would he say that that was a difficult thing? I think probably that Elijah is saying that it is difficult because of two reasons. Number one, God is going to have to decide whether to grant that request. And number two, Elijah knows now that he is going to leave his legacy behind, that he's done. No matter how excited he is about getting taken up in a whirlwind, that's a difficult moment. That everything that I was going to do or could have done, that it's over. And now the anointing, and that is going to go to someone else. And so as they have this very intimate conversation, it leaves us asking the question, when is the last time that we've gone to the Lord and asked for more of Him? Do you remember a moment where you've prayed and said, Oh God, I want more of you. I need more of you, Lord. You see, a lot of people would say that they want more of God. But Tozer said something a long time ago, and the first time I read it, I wasn't sure that I agreed with it. But now I think he's got it dead on. Tozer said years and years ago that you can have as much of God as you want. Now, if that is a strange quote to you, you think, oh no, I'd have more of God. Well, Tozer's right because Jesus said that. Seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you want more of God, you will have more of God. The reason that people don't experience more of God is not because God is withholding themselves from them, but because they do not want more of God. You say, why would anyone not want more of God? You already know the answer to that. Because if you have more of God, you've got to have less of you. If God gets more hold of your life, if God takes more control of your life, if God is more involved in every aspect of your daily decision-making and who you are, then for that to happen, then there has to be less of you. And most people don't want more of God because they want as much self as possible. But Elisha said, I want a double portion I want all that I can get. One of the most fascinating verses in all of the New Testament, and it pertains certainly to the topic that we're talking about, is a statement that Jesus made. On Wednesday nights, we're walking through a series called Written in Red, where we're looking specifically at the words of Jesus. And there are some words that he spoke in John 14, 12 that have always stuck out to me, and I've always marveled at the statement that he made to the disciples nearing the very end of his life. In John 14, 12, 
He said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, some of you are thinking, how can that be true? Because he doesn't just say it about the disciples. He says that about you and I. Greater things than these, greater than walking on water, greater than feeding 5,000 on a hillside with five loaves and two fish, greater than casting out demons, greater than making the blind see, greater than raising the dead to life, greater than those things? The answer may surprise you. The answer is yes. Why? This is, I know it's a little warm, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. After Jesus left, an event happened in Acts 1 that is the key to the church. Before Jesus ascends, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you or fall on you like the cloak that fell on Elisha. The Holy Spirit is going to fall on you and you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost, right? And then as the disciples are standing there, he ascends in Acts 1.11. You remember this event? And what are they doing? They're standing listening, looking at the clouds and the voice comes from heaven and says, why do you stare at the clouds? The same Jesus who the Lord just took from you will come back in the same way that he left. And in that moment, the disciples go from there and the Holy Spirit falls on them. Do you remember this story? Acts chapter 2. And now they are indwelled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place now in a new covenant age when people are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourself so that no man can boast. So what that means now is that every believer has the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, well, Larry, does that mean that we have the power to raise the dead? We need to understand what are the greater things. Is the greater things some form of miracles? Is the greater things walking on water? Is the greater things calming the sea? Is the greater things casting demons into pigs? No, the greater things than these that would take place is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, not only the apostles, but all of the disciples now have the gospel message infused by the Holy Spirit so that immediately after that, when Peter preached the sermon at Pentecost by the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people got saved. The greater things than these are that we would get to experience more people coming to faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit than Jesus ever saw in his own ministry. That's what happens when the mantle of God, when the cloak of God comes and falls down on a believer. So the problem with many is not that God won't give them more of himself but they don't want more of him. Satisfied with a little religion to give them a warm feeling or even to make them feel like they are going to heaven. Elijah had shown step by step that he refused to leave Elijah. Reminds me of the, the story of Ruth. Naomi, do you remember she kept saying, go home, go home. And what did Ruth say? I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. 
I'm going to stick with you. And Elijah knew that he needed to stick right by Elijah. And the reason was, was because of the power of God and the Holy Spirit that he saw on Elijah. And Elisha didn't want to be far from that. People, listen to me. If you want more of God, you will have more of God. But the reason that Elisha ended up with a double portion is he refused to leave Elijah's side. If you want more of God, it will be because you do the things that allow you to experience more of God. What are those things? This isn't complicated. This isn't some magic potion. This isn't some incantation. If you want more of God, you'll be in His Word. If you want more of God, you'll be with His people. If you want more of God, you'll engage in His praise. If you want more of God, you'll be in His people's company. If you want more of God, you'll speak of Him. If you want more of God, you will seek Him and place yourself in the positions and around the people and in praise and in the Word of God so that you can experience Him. Don't be so audacious to say you want more of God and then do absolutely nothing to be able to receive more of him I guess the subtext question that Elijah was using and some people may argue differently but I don't I don't think from the context of the passage it would be easy to do so that Elijah didn't really want Elijah, Elisha to go with him, but I think every step of the way he wanted Elisha to go. He said, you, you don't have to go, you can stay, but really he was wanting him to come. He was wanting him to follow after him. In fact, he was asking the question, how far will you go with me? How far will you go? It's the same question that the Lord asked us. And then we read about this chariot of fire. And it swoops down out of heaven. And in this incredible vision, you, you have to allow yourself to have a holy imagination now. To imagine what this must have looked like. And he's carried up into heaven. And I couldn't help but think about if you isolated this story, it would be incredible enough. But I think you have to remember back. There was a time when our friend Elijah had come off of Mount Carmel. And after he had run down, gifted by the Holy Spirit, and beat the chariot of Ahab, after all of those events, he found himself going south, going all the way out and past the desert regions, leaving his servant alone and finding himself under a broom tree. Do you remember that part of the story? And what did Elijah say to God? Do you remember what he prayed? Kill me now. I don't want to live anymore. I'm so depressed. I'm so overtaken. I'm so anxiety stricken. Oh God, just take me now. I wonder if in just the flash of an eye that when Elijah looked up and saw that chariot and here it came, if he didn't remember that time under the broom tree, if he didn't remember, oh God, just kill me now. And I hope and I think that probably Elijah lifted a prayer just in those brief momentary seconds 
and probably said something like this. Thank you for not answering my prayer underneath that broom tree. Friends, some of you have begged God to do some things, and God hasn't answered them in the way that you have asked him to. He hasn't done it exactly the way you would like him to do it. And you may be at a point right now that you don't quite understand why God hasn't done it the way you wanted him to, or you wonder if he is going to do anything. But some of you, by faith and by testimony, could already stand up here today and say, let me tell you about how God answered some prayers differently than the way I prayed them, and that he came through for me in a way, and by the time it was over, I said, oh God, thank you for not giving me what I asked for. Thank you for not giving me what I wanted. And the reason is, is because in his sovereignty and in his providence and in his power and in his glory, the Lord God knows that his will for us us is greater than our will for ourselves. And if we truly want a double portion, if we truly want the cloak or the mantle to fall on us, it will be because it is not our will, but his will. And we will find out, maybe not on this side of heaven, but we will find out one day that the Lord our God has plans and purposes for us that are so amazing that they are better than all we could have asked, hoped, or dreamed of. And I know that because Ephesians tells me so. Elijah left in the chariot of fire. Reminds us of Revelation 19 and the way it tells us that our Jesus is going to return. We know that when he left in that chariot where he went, there's absolutely no doubt that Elijah was carried to heaven. I've said it to you hundreds if not thousands of times over the years that there are only one of two eternal destinies where anyone will find themselves, heaven or hell. And what we know here is that Enoch, I mentioned him, Genesis chapter 5, and Elijah are the only exceptions we know that have ever happened to that rule. But did you know that you might be one of the exceptions? You, you might be one of the exceptions. You might never die. Do I have your attention? You will either go to heaven if you're saved, if you're redeemed, if you're born again, your blood bought, if you've trusted Christ, you will either go to heaven by death or by rapture. What the Lord tells us that for now, Enoch and Elijah are the exceptions, but is there, going, there is going to be an entire generation of believers who are going to join Elijah and Enoch, and no longer will they be the only ones who didn't taste death. Friends, there is a chariot that is a coming. There is a trumpet call that is going to blast. And friends, if that happens in this moment, you had better be ready. Because I've got to tell you, I want to be one of the exceptions. I want to be one of the exceptions. I want to be raptured. I want to meet and stand there 
just like Peter and James and John did on that Mount of Transfiguration. And I want to see Moses. And I want to see Elijah. But as the old gospel song goes, I want to see Jesus. That's the one that I want to see, high and lifted up, shining in the light of His glory, blazing forth as the noonday sun. And friends, I can know that one day, either by death or by rapture, that I'm going to see Him, but only, only if His Holy Spirit, if the mantle of God has fallen on you, and the only way that will happen is the only way you're going to get heaven, the only way you're going to get the Father is, friends, if you go by the way of of the Son. Elisha asked what seems to be a strange question. I don't know if you caught it because it was at the very end of our reading. You may have been ready to sit down. But his master's gone. Cloak's fallen. He's picked it up. I don't pretend to know all the emotions that were going through his mind. Maybe he was excited for him. Maybe he was sad. Maybe he was scared to death. I think all of those are, would be normal. But he asked a question. Where is the God of Elijah now? Did you see that? Where is he now? And he took the cloak and he hit the Jordan River. And the Jordan River parted just like it had just done, just a few moments ago when Elijah struck it. It's as if to say, I have a legitimate question. God, my master's gone. Where are you? And when he struck it, God said, here I am. I am right here. And some of you right now may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and you find yourself asking, where is the God of Elijah now? And you need to know that the God of Elijah and the God of Elisha, oh, friends, he reigns. He reigns on high, that he is here. You say, Larry, how do you know he's here? The Bible says that where two or more are gathered, there he is also. Where is the God of Elijah? He's here. Where is the God of Elisha? He's here. Where is the God of Elisha? He's there. Where is the God of Elisha? He's everywhere. And friends, what you need to know today is to admit the, amidst all the doubts, Amidst the worries about aging, amidst the worries of overdying, amidst the worries of the world and the worries about politics and the worries about problems and the worries about inflation and the worries about your personal health concerns and the worries that are walking through your life, maybe you would be like Elisha and you would ask the same question, oh, where is my God? And friends, I can tell you where he is because the New Testament answers it very clearly because we know that when he ascended, that he went to a very specific place. Where is my Jesus? He stands at the right hand of God the Father, and he is the soon and coming king. And it may not just be Elijah, and it may not just be Enoch, but it may be you and me, fellow believers, that become the exception to the rule, the raptured church of God. Are you ready? Stand with me. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.